Hello, church. It's good to be with you again for another online worship service. We are so looking forward to seeing you in person in the weeks to come. That is very, very exciting. Just a brief reminder before we get started uh, that it's Communion Sunday. So if you have communion elements in front of you, fantastic. If you don't, it's a good time to pause your phone and go get some because we're going to do that together later. Uh, Well, church, you know, this last week has been an unprecedented and historic week. um, And it's been really, really painful for the American people. And so the question is, how shall we respond as a church family? What should we do? Who should we be? And most importantly, how do we align ourselves with the heart of God? So we're going to begin our worship service by opening up the word of God and listening to our Lord and Savior himself, Jesus of Nazareth, quoted here in the book of Matthew chapter 5. He says this, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed are they who align themselves with the heart of God. Let's pray together for a second. Father God, we come before you this weekend asking that you would break strangleholds of pride, that you would break strangleholds of sin. And Lord, I'm not even just talking about what's been going on the last week. Would you break our hearts and open our hearts for a revival, for a return to our first love? Lord Jesus, would you redeem what is broken? Would you restore and heal And would you cause a massive revival to break out in the United States of America? Lord, the day belongs to you. This is your time. And we honor you now. And we place you appropriately on the throne as Lord and Savior. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Start for 
Well, welcome, ABF family. We are so glad that we can celebrate communion. And whether you're doing this late on a Saturday night or early on a Sunday morning or sometime else, we know that when we come together to celebrate communion, we symbolize and celebrate Christ's death on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection. You know, as we take communion in our homes today, I know that you're thinking, when will we be able to do this together? Well, there's a day coming soon. But today, you take communion with me as we share the Lord's Supper. Let me read some scripture to you. It comes from that famous passage in 1 Corinthians. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, in the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so if you'll take your communion wafer and go ahead and let's take communion together. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's remember him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so glad that you paid the price for our sin on the cross. And even as we remember your great sacrifice today, we remember you and we celebrate what you did in conquering death and providing victory through the resurrection of Jesus. And so Lord, as we lift you up today, we remember you. Amen. Hey, it's so great to be with you, and we have so many great things happening at ABF. Let me tell you about an exciting thing that happened this week. We received 20 boxes of fresh produce that we were able to deliver to our ministry partners. Thank you for asking for ways to serve. Keep asking us, and we'll keep giving you opportunities to give back to our community. Number two, I want to let you know we have some great Zoom opportunities again and all those opportunities are on the screen behind me, the men's study, the women's prayer night, uh, junior high and high school. One Zoom meeting that we really want to make sure you're aware of is on Sunday night, June 14th at 8 p.m., we have our marriage essentials. We had 40 of you join us last time, so please join us again. We'd love to have you. And now, I think the special announcement that most of you have heard about is we are reopening on Sunday, June 14th. It's very important that you read the emails that will be coming and the specific ways that we will help you uh, get reacclimated here at ABF. And with that announcement, we have this announcement. The men's Bible study will open on Tuesday, June 16th. The high school group will start meeting again on Wednesday, June 17th. And the junior high group will meet on Thursday, June 18th. You'll get specific information on all those groups on how you can be involved again with us on campus. And now some of you are saying, but I'm a little unsure. What, how does this work? How are we reopening? Well, we want to help you know what to expect on that Sunday. And so check out this video that will explain it all. Okay, church, be really quiet. I'm sneaking up on Chris. He has no idea. Hey, Christopher! Hey, dude. 
what are you doing here? Dude, didn't you hear? We get to go back to church, baby. Oh, yes. Did you sign us up? No. Why would I, why would I sign up to because go to church? Because only 100 people are allowed to be on campus. We have to register to go to church. Well, then, I guess we should register online beforehand so that we can go to church. Let's do it. Let's do it. Woo! Dude, I'm so glad we got a spot for church. I'm so glad. Yo, it's Stephanie. Check-in table, baby. I miss this place. Gosh, Stephanie, that's an odd choice. Odd choice? Yeah. She's the office manager. Everybody loves her. And when she talks to you, she makes you feel like you're wrapped in a rainbow. She's mean. Yo, Steph, what's up? Hey, guys, welcome back to church. Who do we got in here? We got Chris, we got Josh. Who's back there? Oh, poor Zach. <laughs> Interns! <laughs> Interns. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye, Steph. Man, where can we get rid of this kid? You mean your child, dude? I don't know. There has to be somewhere to put him. Huh. Guys, it is literally right there. Huh. Huh. Oh. Hey, guys. Hey, Adrian. Yeah. Hey, did you check in your kid with our new check-in app? You can do that? Absolutely. Well, that's new. Chris loves his coffee, man. I'm telling you. Thank you. Dude, are you, are you gonna drink all four of those? Uh, yeah, four kids, four coffees. You're crazy. Yeah. Dude, what? did you see Faith's hands? Yeah. They're all yellow. They're gross. It's super nasty. Frostbite does that to you. Really? Yeah. Bye, Faith. Bye, Faith. See ya. See ya. Dude, let's check out these venues. Okay, let's do it. Okay, so we've got option number one here in the worship center. Nice. As you can see, all of the chairs and rows spread out. And I like to think it kind of feels like you're on an airplane. Yeah, like, like an airplane on the ground. This is really nice. Except Chad staring at you. So, right. Okay, we will check out another venue. All right, so option number two. This is really nice. Outdoor venue. You can see all the lovely seats. Open air. Really, really beautiful. Except that he's not wearing a mask, so... Huh. So you're still all about that, I take it. Chris? Oh, jeez. I guess he's still all about that. All right, we'll check out the next one. Okay, so this is our newest listing. It's called The Well. A couple of features I'd like to point out to you. It's an open air concept, as you can see with the open doors. Yes, there is air conditioning. And yes, masks are required in this room only. Dude, crown molding. It's not crown molding. Yeah, this, this is it. This is, this is. I you see. like it? Yep, I do. Hey man, whatever it takes, I'm just glad you found your spot. Yeah, and you can find your spot this upcoming Sunday. We can't wait to see you. We're back to church, people! Yes! Hey, what's up, church? Hey, church. Hey, so we've had a ton of fun putting these videos together, uh, especially this last video kind of introducing you to what it's gonna be like to be back on campus. But we did wanna recognize that there are some of you out there that have health conditions. And uh, we just want to say that we're trying to do everything that we can to provide a space for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And just know that we miss you and we definitely want you on campus. But please, if you don't feel ready, just know that our doors are always open and we can't wait to see you. We love you. We'll see you soon. Take care. Bye, guys. Gotta love Josh and Chris. Well, happy June. It is finally summer. I love going to the park, I love going to the beach to go swimming and paddle boarding, and I especially love seeing my friends, even if that is from a distance. 
Well, this summer, ABF wants to invite you to join us for Summer Fun Days. Well, we'll be sending out a calendar of events so that you'll know what will be coming up, when we'll be going to the beach, and when we'll be going to the park. This is for everyone. Our first time that we're going to be gathering is June 27th, and we'll be at Zuma. Well, next week, I am super excited that we'll be back on campus and I get to teach the kids their Bible lesson on the lawn and we'll play some fun games on the field. This is going to be a lot of fun. I hope you can join us. Well, throughout the summer months, I know that not everybody is going to be here, so I'm going to continue to send out our Bible story videos and our God time um, our God time guides for our preschoolers and our elementary students so that no matter where you are, we can continue to grow in our faith walk with Jesus. Well, you, you can always find these, uh, these resources in the email that I send out every week or on our website. Well, I am excited to show you our last Kids Blast Challenge video. So take a look at our best dressed pets. church family. Uh, so good to be with you and so fun to see some of those video highlights. Uh, man, Daniel with his uh, lizard on his face, uh, very impressive. Uh, well, another week now we're into uh, meeting online and actually as I was thinking about it this week, that's such a, a blessing uh, that we're in a day and age. Imagine even 20, 30 years ago if we were going through the same uh, predicament we're currently in, uh, we wouldn't have the blessing of being able to be together for worship and so grateful for that. You'll notice each week we have, take a, uh, some extra effort in making sure we have a, a little bit of a family feel here on stage. And uh, this week, that couldn't be any more true uh, for having really a, a, a couple that's been just a bedrock family in our church. And uh, so we're thankful to have uh, Doug and Nancy up here uh, today. And if you haven't heard uh, the news, we're really sad to see uh, Doug and Nancy are moving to Atlanta or the Georgia area, just to be closer to their uh, son and family. And so we're really sad. Nancy has been on staff for 28 years, uh, just investing in this church. So many people can point back to th 
their experience at this church being a part of being welcomed by Nancy Angel. And uh, Doug's been an elder, has been a deacon, has been more recently investing just in the church campus here. And so both of them really emulate Jesus Christ and they're gonna be deeply missed. We plan in the, the fall, maybe when there's more resemblance of normalcy to have some kind of a reception uh, after one of the services to be able to say goodbyes. But just wanted to say thank you for your faithful ministry. We're gonna definitely uh, miss you both being here. So thank you. Well, I uh, uh, wanted to thank you as a church as well, just for uh, just changing topics a little bit for your participation in doing this survey last week. Since I've been here for seven years, that's the first survey we've officially done. And the participation was pretty impressive. And as you would guess, we had a wide variety of opinions and thoughts uh, about uh, coming back to church, in case you're wondering, it landed about 55% of people were ready to come back right away, about 45% fall in the more somewhere in the, the future category, so about half and half, and uh, that was to be expected. It was neat to see some of the other responses and feedback, and trust us, we've gathered all of that. And so, as you've already heard, we're trying to create a, a new normal uh, moving forward that includes a little bit of both. And so as we mentioned already on June the 14th, we're gonna start having services with a, a ceiling of 100 people here on the campus. We're very excited about that. But I wanna make sure that everyone knows though is just because you're not uh, comfortable yet coming back on the campus doesn't mean that you're still not part of this church. We don't want any kind of a weird divide between those coming back and those that are staying at home. We feel uh, we want to have an environment where both uh, groups are welcome and feel welcome and part of this church family. So we're excited to be taking steps towards uh, moving back to being together uh, on this church campus. Well, this uh, uh, this time together, as we're uh, getting into God's word, we're, I'm going to be continuing in Exodus, where Josh left off uh, last week and did an excellent job in uh, chapter one, and picking up, and it's been fascinating studying this week how relevant our topic is as it relates to our current world circumstances. I'm going to ask for a little bit of grace in this message, especially. I don't see myself as a specialist in race issues, and as hot of a topic as that is in our current world, I'm going to need a, a little bit extra grace. And what I'm really praying for is that you wouldn't be scrutinizing every single word that I say, but instead really seeking the Lord on what he wants to say to you through the study of his word. So if you wouldn't mind just joining me in prayer, that would be wonderful. Lord Jesus, we just come to you right now and just recognize our need for you. Never have we sensed that more in the state of our nation, in the state of our world. We're fully dependent on you and dependent on you for rescue. Now we ask that you be present and moving in the study of your word, God, that you'd bring things to light, you'd bring things to surface, you'd do the work that only you can do behind the scenes, revealing stuff that needs to be revealed, doing the convicting that you can do, encouraging where it needs uh, to, where encouragement is needed, God. We invite all of that in this moment, we pray in Jesus Christ's name, amen. Well, if you remember last week, Josh left us off in uh, chapter one, a pretty intense passage. If you think about it, you remember that really the, the edict that came from the king of uh, Egypt at that time was that every single uh, Israelite baby boy that was born would be killed. 
And at first he had the midwives in charge of that, but when they failed, he enlisted the help of the entire population of Egyptians to assist in that. Can you imagine that? So I had to stop and think about that. What would that be like for a nation to say, I want you to be the ones to kill. Anybody can do it. Anyone that wants to can kill any known uh, Jewish baby. It's just a heartbreaking reality. And you got to ask yourself, what brings somebody to a place where they're that heartless, where they're such dark days as a, as a, a, a people group? When I was thinking about that, I thought about Exodus where we were at last week in chapter uh, one, verses eight through, lev- through 11, I believe have some wonderful hints as to why a people group heads a particular dark direction. If you wouldn't mind revisiting just a couple verses from Josh's section last week, chapter one of Exodus verses eight through 11 says, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens." So we see a number of issues in that section of scripture when you actually break it down, things that are often at the root of racism. The first one you see in the very first line, it says, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. You remember Joseph had done so much to help the people of Egypt back in the day But somewhere along the line, he was forgotten. Somewhere along the line, there was a divide between leadership. There was a divide that happened within the nation where it became the Egyptians and the Israelites. You see, when we operate in the flesh, when the the self is leading, it takes us to some pretty dark places. And so often, our tendency is to isolate and to segregate. You see, the best defense against racism is to actually know somebody, to actually know somebody. Imagine, and this might take a little bit of uh, thinking right here, uh, picture if the Pharaoh or the king of that time would have said an edict like this, I want all of the Egyptians to on a monthly basis have a potluck dinner with an Israelite family, and we want to move towards unity and knowing each other. Do you not think that this story would look a little bit different? You see, when you don't know, all of a sudden the differences that are presumed begin to separate further and further. I can't tell you how many things I've read or heard this week that reiterate that the relationship changes everything. Relationship changes everything. When you're a student of another culture, of a different people group, all of a sudden that relationship changes your perspective. So first thing that happens when we're operating in the flesh is the unknown. Another thing or a root cause for racism is fear. Think about that for a second. Fear, it says in the text, it says, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. They're making assumptions. Fear so often leads us because of the the unknown 
towards lots of hypotheticals. Well, what if this is going to happen? What if they did this? What if they, what if, what if they uh, compromised my safety here? You see, fear so often is a root cause of being against another group of people. The other reason for fear is also the thought or possibility of losing control. When someone feels the risk of that, all of a sudden they tighten the grip closer, they, they, they insulate, they draw close to people that are familiar, that are similar. Fear is often an obstacle to breaking through racial divides. Another one that you may not notice at first in the text, as I kept reading through just those couple of verses, is how often the words us and them are used. How often us and them are used. Let us deal shrewdly. Let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they join our enemies and fight against us. See, that's the tendency that happens with race issues is we have this tendency, a lot of times rooted in a, in a good cause, yet in an attempt to belong, we instead, we isolate and head towards the familiar. It's a lot easier to group around people that think like you, that look like you, that live like you, that prioritize like you, that believe like you, that vote like you. That's the natural tendency. It takes work to spend time with people that think differently. It's so hard for me on Facebook to keep a few select friends that are on the exact opposite of the spectrum of beliefs on really everything. I'm like, oh, it's such a strain, but it's so important for us to be around others that are unlike us. You see, when we're operating in the, in the flesh, it takes us to some pretty dark places. I heard a black pastor this past week that was talking about the issue. He was saying, you know what? It's more than a race issue right now. It's more than a race issue. He said, we're seeing what life looks like when the Holy Spirit isn't leading. We see what life looks like when the Holy Spirit isn't leading. When we go to our own natural devices, when the King of Kings isn't guiding the ship, there's some pretty dark areas that we head towards. We'll continue in the text just with a story at the start of chapter two here today. We're introduced to Moses for the very first time. In an attempt to rescue him from the, this edict of being murdered, his parents are creative and actually put him in a basket, in a, in a basket that's designed to float in a, in a river. He's not placed in a, a pool in Thousand Oaks like our video last week. Instead, he's placed in the Nile River. And here, he was pretty vulnerable to be found by really anybody. But we see in the text, he's conveniently found by the Pharaoh's own daughter. Think about that. What are the chances? It's almost as if somebody was orchestrating all of this. So the Pharaoh's daughter finds him in the river, and she's, we're told that, that she took pity on him. She took pity on him. I find that interesting. Why would she take pity on this random unknown child? You see, scripture tells us that God, that God holds the heart of kings in his hand, but he also holds the heart of princesses in his hand, as we see here in the text. Moses' older sister, Miriam, takes a, a pretty big gamble and comes out of the reeds and, and mentions to Pharaoh's daughter, hey, I can help you find a, a Hebrew woman to help take care of this baby. Conveniently, she already has somebody in mind. In fact, she connects 
Moses with his own mother. The fascinating thing is that Pharaoh's daughter agrees to pay her for her services. I love how creative our God is in bringing justice and bringing rescue to somebody in their point of need. Not only does he save baby Moses, he also provides an income stream for their family. Pretty awesome. We're told that as Moses gets a little bit older, that he's brought into Pharaoh's family and and raised as as Pharaoh's daughter's own, own son. Then at the halfway point in this chapter, a little later in the chapter, verse 11, everything changes based on one instant instance in Moses's life. Take a look at me at the text. It says, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Let's pause there for a moment. Basically, Moses is disturbed watching the injustice that's coming, that's being bestowed on his people group. He sees that and he's at this crossroads where who he's going to identify with, his his new adopted family or the the family of his birth. He makes a pretty uh, drastic choice to combat the injustice. He intervenes and kills this Egyptian man. You see here, the truth is, as an image bearer of God, we each have a deep longing for justice imprinted on us. When we don't see justice coming, our natural inclination is to want to fight for it. That's one of the things as an image bearer of God. This is exactly what we see happening in our nation at this point in time is where it's impossible to watch the video of of George Floyd and not have the hair on your neck stand up and your justice sensors go off demanding that something be done. It doesn't settle right in the human heart. It doesn't settle right in the way that God's made us and designed us. But the trick is to fight for justice without having blood on your own hands. We see this same tension between those who want to bring justice peacefully and those who want to bring it by force. How does Moses himself respond? He responds in premeditated murder. In other words, he scouted out the situation, looked both directions, made sure he was clear, murders, and then tries to hide what he's done. Basically, the important thing to understand here is that scripture is often descriptive, not prescriptive. In other words, it describes the events that have happened, but it's not prescribing necessarily the right way that we're supposed to act. We already know what God's heart is about spilling another man's blood. You wonder though, in this choice, what God could have done with Moses in his position of influence in Pharaoh's house, if he had chosen to use that position of authority rather than a stone within his own hand. We'll never never know the answer to that, but we do think back to how effective Joseph had been within the household of Pharaoh. 
But instead, the relationship between him and the Pharaoh is severed, and Moses flees. He heads to the outskirts of, of Egypt in a place called Midian. In the description there, he's introduced for the first time to a priest by the name of Jethro, who had three daughters. He meets them. It's fascinating because he is another attempt to bring justice. He, he rescues these three girls from shepherds that were mistreating them. He has a bent towards justice, which is the way God's designed us. But again, here we're introduced to Jethro. Jethro brings him into his own family, treats him like a son. He ends up marrying one of Jethro's daughters named Zipporah, and they have a son together named Gershom. All of this is happening on the outside of Egypt, looking in. But we're told at the same time, take a look at me with me in verse 23. It says, during those many days, the king of Egypt died. So a change of kings. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. Listen to this. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel and God knew. It's important to know that our cries don't just fall on deaf ears. We have a personal God that, that hears, that listens, and sometimes, especially in this instant, tears end up being the catalyst for God's rescue. God had seen enough, he had observed too much. And so when you're wondering in the middle of crisis, what can I do? What's my part in this? So often the best starting place and even when I, I heard no, news this last week about jo George Floyd, the starting point where I began was starting with crying out to God, praying for his intervention, for him to do a work that only he can do behind the scenes. We're told for anyone that wonders if we have a God that's active, it says God saw the people of Israel and God knew. knew. Anyone that thinks that God doesn't get it, that he doesn't understand the, the plight, that he doesn't understand the unjust. He sees all, observes all, and he chooses in his infinite wisdom when is the time to intervene and when is the time to let it play out. Maybe a conversation that you could have over the dinner table is asking this question. Is it possible that injustice is tolerated when it's being used as a tool to bring people back to God? Is it possible that God delays his, his intervention as he's using injustice as a tool to bring people back to God? Maybe that would be a good dinner conversation in the week to come. Either way, God here decided to intervene after 400 years of Egyptians being underneath the mistreatment, uh, I'm sorry, the Israelites being under the mistreatment of the Egyptians. We'll take a look and see how God responds in verse one of chapter three. He's calling Moses to be involved. He says, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see the, this great sight, why the, why the bush is not burned. 
When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, the first words we've heard in 400 years. And he said to, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have, listen to this, and I have come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. You can continue reading about this interchange, but this is basically a day that changed everything for Moses. Most likely a day that started like any other day. Moses, you see, had been a leading sheep. He had been a shepherd for the past 40 years. Not exactly an exciting vocation. All of a sudden he comes across this bush, as you see there in the text, where God literally begins speaking to him, an undeniable encounter with God. My hope within our church family is all of us can point to different encounters we've had with God, whether it's the time where you come to realize your need for a savior, savior and rescue, or whether it's a time where you've had an encounter where he's pointed you a particular direction that you're meant to go. I remember working at a summer camp in uh, college right after a difficult breakup and, uh, and having a time where it was so clear that God was redirecting my plans for heading towards a business career, towards something that he wanted, where I'd, I'd redirect everything and head towards vocational ministry. It's interesting in those encounters how on a dime, everything turns, everything changes. In this interaction, all of a sudden, it's a turning point for Moses' life. But it's not just that. It's a turning point for the nation of Israel where God begins to be actively involved with his people. I love this because the more he's actively involved with his people, the more you get to know him. You begin to see that he's approachable that he's a listener, that he's an empathizer, that he's a provider, that he's a promise keeper, that he's an advocate, that he's a rescuer, that he's patient, that he's a patient father, but he's also a just judge. You see, as we come to him, when, he, when we cry out to him in our, in our pain and in injustice, we come to realize that he's a father that wants to be involved. He wants us to know him. He wants us to see him as our rescuer, as our provider. Although this was a call for uh, Moses to be part of the deliverance, there's still no question, as Josh brought up last week, who the hero's going to be. Look again in verse eight. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. There's no question who's going to be doing the rescue here. And if you can look a little bit deeper here, it's a beautiful foreshadow of what's to come with Jesus Christ. It forecasts his future rescue. It says, I've come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians as Jesus comes down to deliver us from our sins and to point us towards a promised land. 
my hope in the middle of all of the chaos and all of the crazy that we're currently experiencing, that we would begin to see and embrace Jesus as the rescuer, the one that can only provide, the one that we can cling to the promise that he has a, a land, a, a future that includes justice, that includes mercy, that includes his presence. My hope is that in this, we would see him as the sole solution. We'd cling to his promise during these dark days as we continue ahead. That's my, my prayer. Let me wrap up in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to see this text and to see so many things that are practical for our current situation. I pray that we'd learn from observing the Egyptians on how not to do things, that we'd move towards knowing and towards relationship, but we'd resist fear, that we'd resist any kind of segregation or separation just because of someone being more like ourselves, that we'd put in the work to move towards relationship, even when that's uncomfortable, even when it stretches us. We thank you for this promise that we see in this scripture that you hear the cries of your people and it can be the catalyst based on your infinite wisdom for rescue. We praise you for that reality that we have a, a promise at the end of all of this. If we've bent a knee towards you and embraced you as Lord and Savior, we have the hope of ultimate rescue, of ultimate justice and being brought to the land of milk and honey. We thank you for that, God, that we can cling to these promises through Jesus Christ. We pray that now in his name, amen.
oceans are swimming inside the breath of your desire. Where could I run? Where could I hide from your heart's jealous fire? All treasures of wisdom and things to be known are hidden.
All right, church family. Well, again, so good to be with you online. And we're looking forward to seeing uh, some of you next week. Remember to check the email. We'll give clear expectations, descriptions of what's going to be happening in the week to come. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.